When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the E2C Network, podcast by Auburn fans for Auburn fans. Brought to you by the Auburn Uniform Database. Visit them at auburnuniforms.com. War Eagle Auburn fans, welcome to Inside the Jungle, your source for Auburn men's basketball analysis and discussion. My name is Kyle Loomis. I'm the editor of the E2C Network, and thank you for joining us for another edition of Inside the Jungle, where we're going to talk about another Auburn Tigers victory, this time over the North Florida Ospreys by the score of 95-49. to Yes, the Auburn Tigers get back into the fashion with which they started the non-conference play, dominating opponent. Now a very worthy opponent, I will say, in terms of their perception and what we thought about them coming into it. But Auburn takes care of business at home in the Auburn Arena to finish out the non-conference play to break all the action down from that game and look ahead i brought in my friend co-host clint richardson of the auburn uniform database clint you're just good luck man every time we go to the arena we have a blowout i'm down for that so we just need to get you some season tickets now and you know maybe just kind of get them for free for you so you have more incentive to be there Well, you can put that on the E2Z Network tab. Well, you know, that tab keeps growing and it doesn't get any help. So <laughs> at some point, we got to find a way for it to be helped because it just keeps getting larger and larger, much like Auburn leads over teams that they appear to be far and away the more superior team when it goes into it. And I have to be honest with you, Clint, I think when we looked at this game on paper, we thought North Florida would be a little bit more of a challenge, and it, and it appeared might have, it might be the case, the way Auburn had kind of struggled in some areas coming into the game, and at the earliest onset of the game, there were some, you know, maybe suspicions this might be a little closer, but wow, what a blowout. Yeah, that was that was a fun one, and it, it was pretty close in the first half, and, you know, towards about the five-minute mark in the, in the first half, Auburn really started to to pull away and and take a 45-23 point lead into the uh into the break but North Florida really came out on fire and was looking like they were going to make this a really tough game for Auburn. Yeah, and I think that comes from the the type of program they've started running down there. You know, they've been a tournament team before. Coach Pearl has done a good job as we've talked about before before in his scheduling of trying to get teams, even if they're supposed to be teams you're going to traditionally beat, getting former tournament teams, at least recent tournament teams, back into Auburn Arena so it does something a little bit for your RPI. Now, when you throttle them like we did, maybe it just kind of seems like a cupcake team, but hopefully the Tigers take something away from the Osprey win to uh, move them forward into SEC play since this finishes out the non-conference game here so i have to ask the question clint i always ask was this a complete game nah, i don't think so and why yeah, just watch it <laughs> so you're telling me a game where we're trying to look up pre-show here if this is a record for alley-oops and dunks this is not a complete game 
I mean, this is probably the most complete game that Auburn has played this season, but the, you know, the beginning of the game was pretty slow and Auburn, if Auburn would have started the game, like they ended the game, this could have been, you know, 120 to 30 kind of game. And, you know, it, it's great to put your players in and, and everybody get some good playing time and some good minutes. Um, they're just, you know, it, it was really good. It still could have been better. Um, some some guys played a lot better than they have, some not so much. And it, it's something that's going to keep coming, and these guys are still going to keep playing well. I feel like if we pose this question to Coach Pearl, based on what I saw watching the game online, uh, he would definitely agree with you that, no, this was not a complete game. There was a stretch there where he was just getting after his bench, and I think it came from some of the lackadaisicalness, you know, from maybe feeling a little bit more confident since they kind of worked themselves a little bit out of the shooting slump and began the game that way again and kind of worked themselves back out of it too. I think maybe they got a little overconfident seeing themselves stretch away and just got lackadaisical, which is why you saw Bruce just, I mean, he was lighting his players up on the bench. And I think he was more mad at what was going on on the court of the bench, but they were the, you know, the poor victims that (laughs) he had right there to yell at. Um, So I think Bruce. No, that's, that's definitely how it was. And and you could see his, his players on the bench start laughing as soon as he walked away. So they they knew not to take it personally and to, to that they were just the the sounding board for the moment. Well, and this team is is so much better than uh, taking a, a play or two off. You know, they they've come so far. They have an eleven and two record right now. Their losses are quality losses. Bruce knows these guys should be doing a lot more against this team when they got up a little bit further. So I'm glad to see him, even if it wasn't the bench players' fault getting on them a little bit to kind of light a fire into them. And it did. I mean, when you have the kind of differential here in terms of scoring uh, that resulted by the end of the game, it kind of shows uh, that they got their um, act back together and played it. But, you know, this ends non-conference play, and I think it's fitting too, Clint, because this feels like the way we began non-conference with a route of an opponent and just seem like we're the high-flying Tigers of old. Yeah, I mean, Auburn has has played really well this season so far and and has capped off a really good non-conference schedule i mean coming out with south alabama and and winning almost in the same fashion as they did against unf is is a really good bookend to it knocking off you know top 25 washington taking xavier to miami and beating them in overtime now, arizona's not great this year but that's still a power name that auburn Deserves to be up in the conversation with right now. Uh, Dayton, as we've talked about before, is always a good name. UAB played Auburn as tough as anybody has all season long. Murray State's a good win. The the loss to Duke is not going to hurt Auburn. They played as well as they could, and a couple of bounces one way or another, and that's a completely different game. NC State is, <clears throat> although the it's only a seven-point game, that's that's going to be the mark on this schedule so far, even though I think NC State is a lot better than they were given at the time of the game. So I think, you know, 11-2 and two is, is nothing to sneeze at. This is a really good non-conference schedule, and I think this is going to serve the Tigers well come uh, Selection Sunday. 
and I know this is not specific to the North Florida talk right now, but since you brought it up, I want to pose this question to you. Is this of the last three seasons where I believe, if I have my statistics correct here, um, Auburn had one loss two years ago in non-conference play, no losses last year that may be swapped, I'm not sure, and two losses here after this non-conference schedule. Which of those three years are you more impressed with in terms of the results based on the strength of the schedule? I think it's definitely this season. I mean, last year going undefeated in non-conference was a really good thing to put on the resume, but the talent of the teams that Auburn played still were not up to this quality. I mean, there's only two ranked teams at the time when Auburn played them on this schedule for 2018, but I mean, like like I just said, UAB, NC State, Murray State, and and Xavier and Arizona. That's five more teams that at any point in the season could very well be ranked or have a fantastic uh, brand behind that name, especially in college basketball. So, yeah, you know, I think because two years ago Auburn beat you know UConn and Oklahoma at their worst. And we talked about it then; <laughs> those were big brand name wins for Auburn. Auburn destroyed UConn last year again when they're not very good. Um, and, and at this point, where Auburn stands, those wins do nothing but pad the the record between the two teams. And um, you know, Auburn's never beaten Duke, and you know, it's it's not really going to do a whole lot to to beat these teams at their worst. And unfortunately, Arizona wasn't very good. Xavier, I think, still has the potential to be good this year, and NC State is still on the upward swing this season. I tend to agree with your analysis of that. I do think that this is probably the most impressive in terms of the end results of everything based on taking the schedule into account, the way they play Duke. Um, they do a few things a little bit differently in NC State. I think Auburn comes out of there with a win in a very tough environment. They, you know, if they just shot even half as good as uh, they did, they they would have had, probably had a little bit better result out of there. So I'm very pleased with this non-conference performance here and the way they finished it out uh, with the North Florida win here. And more specifically with this game here, let's kind of take a look at some of these stats and some of the fun nature that happened with it. Auburn shot 47% from the field, 35% from the three-point line, 67% from free throws. That continues to be the bane of my existence, Clint, and I'm going to continue <laughs> to harp on it. And I'm happy to report that Rod Bramblett and Sonny Smith agree with me. They both were on these guys the entire game about they've got to be better at this if they want to win more SEC games. Absolutely, and and most of the season I've kind of just brushed it off as you've harped on it, but seeing it once again, it's it's going to start getting troublesome, but it's, you know, in a game like this, it's kind of easy to brush it off because Auburn did shoot 27 free throws and making 18 of them to uh, North Florida 7 of 9. That's, that's a big difference, and Auburn has done a really good job in most games of driving to the basket drawing fouls, and getting to the free-throw line. So the getting shots is not going to be Auburn's problem, but it's there's going to be a couple of games this season where it's going to come down to a, just a handful of free-throws, and at this point, Auburn doesn't look like they're going to come out on top on that. 
No, I would have to agree with that, and that's what scares me about this is the fact that when they get into a dog fight with you know an upper SEC team or even a mid tier SEC team that's got the potential to be a lot better, I, I'm worried because they've got the great defense, they've got the ability to get some shots up, but they've got to complete the smaller things like these free throws, which they've done better in the past, and this is basically the same team as last year that shot so well from the free throw line. So I hope that this is just one of those areas where they've just kind of started out very cold and will get a lot better. But however, in this game, though, we move on from that stat, and you talk about the rest of these here, and it's just its so good. I mean, there's not a lot to be upset with here. We're going to get to one major one here in a second. But if you look at, like, points off of turnovers, 41 points for the Tigers. They won the rebound battle 33-39. to Second chance points, 14. Bench points, 39. Points in the paint, 50. I mean, Clint, this is just, I mean, there was, if you wanted to stat tonight as a player, even as a walk-on last minute, you had the opportunity to get some points tonight. Yeah, that's for sure. And and if you would have told me two years ago that an Auburn basketball team would have scored 50 points in the paint, I, I wouldn't have believed you. And I mean, that just tells you how different this team is. This while they still do live and die by the three, it's not nearly to the degree that it used to be. It's like we've finally awoken up to the concept that Austin Wiley is sitting there and waiting to just slam it down <clears> someone's throat. And not just him, to be honest with you. Horace Spencer continues to be a great contributor in many areas, but he is even establishing himself a little bit this game, kind of throwing down a few dunks. I mean, honestly, Clint, you said it best before we did the show. Everyone seemed like they were getting a dunk, whether it was Chuma in a high-flying alley-oop, Austin just <clears> down low in the paint. Just everyone was having fun tonight. Met a couple of people after the game, and they said that this was their niece and nephew's first game ever at an Oliver basketball game, and they they really thought that the kids might, you know, as they put it, pack their game and not really enjoy it, but they were so into it, as they said, and just enjoying all the high flying acrobatics that Auburn put on, and these are these are the fun games. This is when, and it's a lot of fun this time of year as it's. Christmas break. There is no student section officially, and you get a lot of families down in the student section. And you know, it's such a different atmosphere in the jungle and the Auburn Arena. And when Auburn's able to put on a show like this, everybody walks away enjoying it. And I, I wish Auburn had listed the record for teen dunks <laughs> in in a single game on the media guide. Unfortunately, there's only individual dunks. But I think that this game might have uh, come close to that number for sure. This, there were a ton of alley-oops, and Austin is just a, a beast down low. And, you know, to this, this is Austin is so good. In only 13 minutes of play, he's gotten 13 points and seven rebounds. <laughs> I mean, he barely got on the court, and he still put his mark on was hard to handle, and nearly came away with a double-double. And let's say this, too. He was a starter, again, for the second game in a row, only 13 minutes. Whereas you see Anthony McLemore with 22 minutes, he gets 11 points. I think this is a case of Coach Pearl seeing a guy that really needed some more minutes, even if he's not going to start, to kind of get a little bit more heated up as we go into SEC play. So I thought that was a great coaching move. 
in terms of Bruce Pearl making that decision. Maybe not giving Anthony the start like he's been accustomed to all season, but letting him come off the bench, getting used to that type of role, and contributing a little more. And you saw a little bit more offensive production out of him. Uh, he had the best night from the free throw line tonight, too. Five for eight in terms of attempts, at least. So happy to see Anthony get a little bit more statistical production tonight, even as an off-the-bench guy here. And then your top scorers tonight, Bryce Brown with 18. Chimo Kiki with 12, Austin Wiley with 13. Uh, anybody else stick out to you tonight on the individualistic stat line? Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned uh, Anthony. I thought that this was definitely his best game of the year. He's really struggled this season, um, just put it, making an impact on the game. He really struggled at the beginning of the game, um, didn't really play great defense, and uh, he really came into his own uh, later in the game. And, you know, I don't like... Austin not getting a whole lot of minutes, but in this game it makes a little bit more sense. Um, Horace Spencer has been so much fun to watch this season, and he fights for every ball that comes near him, and I couldn't be more excited when Horace hit his very first three-pointer of his (laughs) entire career. And uh, for him to finish with six points was pretty impressive, I think. And, And again, only 13 minutes, and uh, he's just not going to light up the stat sheets, but he's going to make an impact in the game. He may not uh, light up the stat sheets, but he's going to light up his teammates, and that's honestly the most important thing. Absolutely. Uh, but I do think that the best performance of the day goes to Chuma Okiki. Mm-hmm. 12 points, 5 for 8 from the field, 2 for 2 from the free for line, 5 rebounds, 2 assists. Fortunately, came away with three fouls. I think he struggles at times of being able to control his body. And you see him just get some really silly check fouls at times. And and that might come into play later in the season in some big games that he's really going to have to control. But Chuma came away with five steals and, you know, probably three or four alley-oop dunks. And I just thought that he was... Chuma just has a sit sense on stealing the ball. And he, I, there's one play in particular. He's guarding the point guard at the top of the key. And the point guard starts to go left. The ball gets, you know, a little hung on his back hip, and Chuma just takes it from him. Chuma, whereas most guys would get called for a reaching foul, Chuma has been really good about just snatching the ball from opponents and making them pay. Well, here's the thing about Chuma, too. We saw how much he was lighting up the stat lines at the beginning of the season. He kind of you know, tapered off a little bit as we moved further into non-conference play, having some good games here and there. But kind of like what I like to do, you know, honestly, finding the patterns here, a cyclical effect with it coming back to form, Auburn finishing as strongly as they did in the non-conference play with this opponent. Chuma does the same thing, kind of getting back to form, so to speak, in terms of what we were accustomed to, 12 points tonight, and then just the biggest impact in terms of kind of energy plays, all-around type of stuff. I do agree with you. I like Chuma's performance in this game. I continue to value the guys off the bench, though, um, and maybe because I was a bench player, too, <laughs> just to be honest with you. Uh, of course. But, but Malik Dunbar with 11 points, again, high-energy guy, finds ways to just, just turn the game around when it doesn't seem to be going the way you want it to. He knocks down a three. <clears throat> comes down and just knocks someone's you know lunch back into the stands i don't know how he does it but i love there's i I love all these guys let's just be honest here i know i'm gushing a little bit right now but there's a lot to be thankful for on this team right now because each guy brings a different 
aspect to this team. And if we want to even look even more to probably the biggest importance of what this team is going to be going forward, you need to look no further than the point guard, Jared Harper, and his performance tonight, bringing him into an elite club with the Auburn Tigers. He is the 38th Tiger to score a 1,000 points in a career. How incredible is that? It's been fun. And and it, he's only in the middle of his junior season, right? Yeah. I mean, this kid has so much potential to be an Auburn legend and just keep going up these point totals and um, – just just keeps padding these stats and you know he, Jared has led this team in every game this season in assist and three of those games he's hit double digits so I and again he lands at nine points so one short <laughs> Jared has been so close to a couple of double doubles this season and and hopefully he'll be able to record at least one and hopefully a few more as the season goes on. Here's my hope for Jared Harper. If he feels uh, 100%, he has to go to the draft this year. I, you know, I will support that decision because I want him to do what's best for him ultimately. But gosh, even Sonny Smith said it on the call tonight that if he stay, chooses to stay his last year with the Tigers, the door is open for him to just turn the record books upside down for himself with what he's already accomplished halfway through his junior year. And I. Part of me hopes he chooses to stay for selfish reasons, but I also hope for him to leave a l- incredible lasting legacy um, as pr- what probably might become the greatest point guard to ever play at Auburn if he plays his card right. Um, you know, there are a few names that are synonymous with the greatness of Auburn basketball, Charles, Charles Barkley being one of them. It's not as lucrative as some of the other programs like Kentucky, Kansas, North Carolina, when you think of Jordan, Pippen, all, all, that, all, all that kind of stuff. But when you think about Auburn, you could now start thinking about Jared Harper in that category. And I'm just, I know I'm being selfish, Clint, but I want him to stay another year. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm right there with you. And, and I, I don't think you'll see, a Jared Harper statue next to Charles Barkley's. It would be a lot smaller, but um, <laughs> lot, lot thinner it, too. if that's yeah, true, um, but if things go like you and I both want them to go and Jared does cement a legacy at Auburn university, he might be the last player to ever wear number one. That would be incredible. And, and, and I don't, I don't take retiring numbers very lightly. I I think that you only reserve them for the most special of players, and um, I, I I think that Jared might join that list as well. It definitely has the potential to do so, and I hope he continues the high-level play he's already done this season. Hopefully gets a few more double-doubles. Last stat I want to talk about tonight, and this is a team stat that is very uh, impressive, even against an opponent that apparently uh, wasn't as good as we thought they might be based on this game. 33 turnovers forced by the Tigers against the Ospreys. That's incredible. That's a, a massive amount of defense being played. And, you know, some of it probably was on their part being a little sloppy, but you got to give credit to the Tigers as well for forcing those within those 33 turnovers. That means about seven blocks. 20 steals. That's just a great defensive performance. And there's some debate on out there if this is a record-setting amount of turnovers uh, that were being forced for the Auburn Tigers. We can't really confirm that, but that seems to be the consensus out there that it may be a record. 
I'm just so pleased with their defensive performance tonight. Yeah, it's the most turnovers since the 1990-91 season. So the Wesley Person era, uh, if you want to talk about great point guards again. Yeah. But um, yeah, what a what a what a performance on the defensive end for Auburn and. Just it was the entire game too. Uh, North Florida, even though they came out and, and really pushed Auburn in the first four eight minutes of the game, they just really couldn't get into a rhythm, and and that's how you get those thirty three turnovers and and a lot of unforced turnovers by UNF as well. But um, you know Auburn was able to come out after you know just a couple of games after committing 25 or whatever against NC State and only commit 13 on the night. So so really, really good night overall for, for Auburn in the turnover uh, category. Even more of an evidence to show that that NC State game was a fluke and everybody's due to have a bad game at some point this season. <laughs> I mean, it, it is what it, you just can't be on every single game. Hopefully we won't see a game as bad as the NC State moving forward, but what a fantastic way to end out the non-conference play. Let's shift our eyes onto SEC and where it, it all counts. Now, it obviously already counted, but this is where Auburn has to make their mark this year to solidify themselves in the tournament, and that's in SEC play. We'll start off with the Ole Miss Rebels um, on the night at 7 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN2. Currently, they have a record of 10-2. and two. Now, they will play a game before us on the 5th against Vanderbilt at Vanderbilt at that awful arena. We're not even going to talk yeah. about that. You, you lie. It's an awful arena, Clint. We're not going to have that debate here tonight. So lie. the biggest storyline I want to talk about this is the gap in play here for Auburn a week and a half off. I think it's technically officially 11 days, right in a week and a half, and then – Ole Miss only has, you know, the normal amount of spacing that you would have between games. Do you think that's going to play to Auburn's detriment to wait that long? Traditionally for Auburn, it has. Don't don't take me back to the Otsard and, and watch <laughs> this Auburn team blow out an amazing lead, and, and that wasn't fun. Um, but I, I think Auburn will probably struggle and have to shake off rust once again following – this long layover can't for the life of me think why Auburn has such a long layoff, but, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully Auburn gets some, some rest. It's going to be a long conference season and the rest of the year and, and some fresh legs are going to be well needed. I, I don't want to start these conversations again, where I'm starting to downplay the threat of an opponent, but I, I'm honestly more afraid of the delay more than I am the opponent because I'm not taking them lightly. I just wonder what Auburn's mentality, their mindset's going to be after a week and a half off. Yes, they're going to be in practices. They're going to be getting ready back for school. So they're hopefully going to be getting back in a routine, but just how much is that going to affect their gameplay? We'll find out in a week and a half here. And I find it interesting that they're going to be on ESPN two kind of speaks to the level of, uh, shall we say, um, issues that Auburn and Ole Miss have found with each other, whether it's, you know, blowing a lead on Auburn's thing, uh, Marshall Henderson, formerly Andy Kennedy being there. Uh, Auburn and Ole Miss, they find a way to make it interesting every year, whether it's at the arena for Auburn or back in Oxford. Yeah, I, I know that you were really hoping that Andy Kennedy would be calling this game and that would be perfect for you. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but like you said, unfortunately, this is on ESPN2, and Andy has been calling all the SEC Network games. So you probably won't get that wish. You know, it, there are a few things that I ask for in my life, Clint. Just, you know, these this one thing I would ask that we make the exception and let him call the Auburn Ole Miss game, especially back in Oxford. That's probably a little bit still a sore spot for him to be back in uh, right now. So I don't expect that to happen, but it would be very funny. Uh, speaking more in terms of what threat that Ole Miss poses to Auburn, I'm looking at their schedule here, Clint. Two losses thus far in the year. They had the chance to lose to Vandy, but the way they at least performed a non-conference play, it seems like Vanderbilt might take the loss there. So two losses for them against Cincinnati and Butler. Respectable teams, but their biggest win I'm having trouble finding on their schedule, Clint. And the best one that I can come up with, and I'll see if you agree, is Middle Tennessee State. Uh, I think MTSU is probably a decent win. Um, Baylor might be another best win on the list again another um really good basketball name but probably hasn't had the best season they're currently eight and four on the year um but yeah they just almost doesn't really have a signature win this season um they're they've got the good record but who knows how they're going to perform when they get into some some better talent um but we do know that they are a talented team. Bree and Tyree once again will will be a, a force to be reckoned with. Who he averages nearly 18 points a game. Terrence Davis averages just 15, and Devonte Schuler averages just 10. Um, these guys, well, and they're gonna hit. They're gonna hit three throws. So <laughs> you've got <laughs> you've got 82, 73, and 86 percent. Uh, charity stripe shooters between those three guys so they're, they're going to put up some good numbers um, hopefully even in their home arena that it's not going to be too much for Auburn to handle a tough way for Auburn to start their SEC schedule in what's already going to be a very very difficult SEC schedule as a whole for them so we'll see if the Tigers are up to the task they will start off the year on the 9th in Oxford to hopefully get a W to start off the SEC play. Before we get out of here, Clint, let's give our contact info. You can find me on Twitter at TigerEye24. Where can they find you? You can follow me on Twitter at ClintAU24, and you can check out my website, the Auburn Uniform Database at AuburnUniforms.com. And that's all for this edition on Inside the Jungle. But until we talk to you again, War Eagle. War Eagle. Before you get out of here, we want to remind you of a couple of things. Head over to E2Cnetwork.com, our website where you can find everything that you'll ever need from us, podcasts, blogs, and even ways to help support the show. If you want to find individual episodes, you can download all of these on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. So until we see you again, I want to remind you of one thing, that here at the network, we believe in Auburn and love it. The only question remains, do you? <laughs>